0: Hello and welcome to The Publicist Speaks. I'm your host, Jessica, the podcast guru, or so I like to call myself. Today our guest is a published writer, novelist, and a teacher. And we're here today to talk about his novel, The Road to Delano. Hi, John. Welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: I'm very excited to have you on. So I would like to know where the idea for this novel came from
1: that is that is a very good question and one i get asked all the time because (laughs) uh, at the heart of it is a a social movement or a labor movement right
2: um
1: and i was actually um teaching a freshman writing class and i used a book of essays on um we could choose what we wanted and this one was on the table a book of essays on the history of nonviolence. I thumped through it. I thought this is very interesting because it started with Socrates and it went all the way through MLK. Okay. And then when I was formulating the course, you know, of course, uh, just before MLK was uh, Cesar Chavez. And um, I grew up in California. I was familiar with him. Um, But I did not know the extent of of his, um, I would say, ideology of nonviolence and how he used it. To break the back of a uh, very discriminatory system mm-hmm. that was on had been had it been in California for over a hundred years. So just a little bit of background. I was very familiar with California history. I'm a history buff. <laughs> I read I've read so much about you know the history of how California came to be, how you know the 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 labor movement, the, the railroads came in, the bringing the Chinese, and how they were. St- segregated and um not allowed to settle. So there's a long history of labor issues within California. So when I read what he did with nonviolence, I was very moved by it actually. Mm-hmm. And and I just said there's got to be a story here. Of
2: course. And
1: um so that's how the, that was the genesis of the idea.
0: I also think that it's a very it's a it's a big important um, aspect that some people maybe don't have a whole lot of knowledge about. And your novel goes traverses a very painful loss of a teenage boy who loses his father and his experience is trying to figure out what happened around that. So I think that that's really important.
1: the, you know, in, any novelist uh, trying to shape an idea, you know, into a full-length story, I mean, um, you you have to make a series of creative choices. And do I tell this from the point of view of a Mexican-American,
2: mm-hmm. or
1: do I tell it from the point of view of a young um, son of a grower? And as I began to investigate it, I realized, you know, that um, there's a lot of misunderstanding on both sides, and very heated, very much like our political situation today. You either (laughs) were on one side or the other, and that's just the way it was. Of course. So um, uh, in my research, I particularly chose a young innocent and allowed the reader to follow through his thought processes of how he... um, became aware of the issues surrounding the labor movement and why it was important. And so um, that was a creative choice that I made. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of those characters, uh, the main character father who was died
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: Cesar Chavez and Adrian are based on real characters.
2: Oh,
0: really? I
1: didn't know that. And um, well, it's, it's, You know, you don't read about this in a history book. What what I had to do, what I did was, um, when I get an idea, the first place I go is to a used bookstore near my house. Okay. And in this used bookstore, I have found more ideas, to more information to flesh out my ideas. And you know, you go to I go to the biography section. I go to the. uh, social science section, I go to the, um, uh, Hispanic American section. And within that section, I found a book of essays and just reading through the book of essays, I found the biography of a individual who, uh, a, a, a grower who tried to change the system and, um, Dem- and and spoke about it much as my main character does in the v- first 20 pages yeah before the growers association and was literally chased out of the valley so this was in the 50s mm-hmm. uh he was he was he was pushed out of the valley and so i said okay there's there's a protagonist um that's empathetic he understands the, the dilemma that um the farm workers are going through so that this it's not all cut and dry. It's not all white people are, hate you know, Mexicans <laughs> and, and all Mexicans hate white. You know, it was a, it's a very it's a very mixed situation. Of course. And there are there are people with great humanity um, who understood this was a problem. But um, then they also understood that they're competing globally against other growers who use cheap labor. So there's so many variables that go into this that I only really touched on them in the book. Right. Um, so anyway, that was that was part how I um, shaped it mm-hmm. as I went to Bakersfield and Delano and met people. I learned about um, different characters, and I said, okay, this this would work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and then Jack, if I could tip my hand, mm-hmm. Jack is based. Jack is based on a fable.
0: Oh, okay. Tell me about the fable. Because
1: I think, um, well, it was Jack and the Beanstalk.
0: (laughs) Of course. Okay.
1: I can totally see it now. Not terribly original. Yeah. But um, the idea that Jack um, had to go in town to sell the last bit of... The idea that in the fable that Jack and the Beanstalk is is uh, really about a young man coming of age and learning to take responsibility for his life. Right. Um, he makes a, an egregious error at the very beginning of the story. <laughs> and his, his, he goes into town to sell the last cow mm-hmm. in his hoodwink by a guy with magic beans.
0: Of course, that's the way.
1: There you go. That was the impetus of Jack.
0: Okay, I can totally see that now.
1: That's... So what you do is you you blend fact with fable, with um, you know the human crisis
2: mm-hmm.
1: of of people trying to better their lives, and um, and that's how I developed the arc of the story. So I know that Jack had to have an increasing awareness, and he had to solve these problems, and he's deeply influenced by Cesar Chavez, as you know as I think a, a, a wide swath of culture was widely influenced by Cesar Chavez, but he's pretty much forgotten. He lives in the shadow of, of Martin Luther King um, in some respect in terms of nonviolence. But mm-hmm. um, in my thinking, he's, he's a giant. Um, how he went about uh, breaking the back of a hundred-year-old tradition <laughs> of the way we will treat workers yeah. um, was was creative.
0: That is and, I think that so, it's important to make sure that we don't forget about Cesar Chavez and the work that he did do for migrant workers and American workers and all of the people who are doing this incredibly hard labor and I think that it's important that we make sure that those stories still get, get told and I think that your novel does a pretty good job of exploring the ups and downs and the kind of veiled bullshit, no offense, or like, no, like, sorry for my <laughs> you language. You <can> say that. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: that exists and, around that
1: kind of work. And, you know, if what I tried to do in the, um, I tried to find in my research, anything written by the growers, um, why they would take this hardline position. So one of the books that I found, it was a self-published book in the used bookstore that that is a great source of help to me.
2: <laughs> as they um, all
1: are. As they all are. Um, I found a self-published book by a grower that lost his land to a land swindle. And so I incorporated that idea into my story, but his understanding of the situation was that he thought Cesar Chavez was wrong because of the way he always built better housing on his um, on his uh, housing that was re- respectable for the migrants, um, but he. But but this was not across the board. These were individuals in how they said, you know, we're not going to have just these slums where where people live. And so I was really kind of torn. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, is this a pervasive thing? And um, w- were they really mistreated? Because or were, was this just Chavez's imagination
2: mm-hmm. or
1: an isolated situation? So... I was up at Squaw Valley workshopping this, um, and I workshopped a couple of chapters, and after one of the workshops, one of the ladies came up to me, an older woman, probably by now in her 60s, you know, maybe 70s, and she was writing a novel and had retired, and she goes, I'd like to have lunch with you, I'd like to tell you a story, so she is, was a retired attorney. And her first job out of law school was working for the Migrant Aid, Legal Aid Society. I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's still, it's, it was called the um, Migrant Legal Aid Society. Okay. And, and these were lawyers, um, a government organization that was uh, mandated to just go around and find out the truth and her first job was to go on growers land and audit their housing
2: mm. okay.
1: and she says john you have it all wrong <laughs> it's about 10 times worse oh, than how you depicted it of course but it wasn't it wasn't consistent some were very good yeah and but most so she would go on to places where you know they allowed them to just throw a piece of canvas on a dirt lot and sleep there yeah so they some didn't have anything so you know that was the position I took that it was it was a mixed bag people could do what they wanted to do and Chavez's idea was look you have a standard of living you wouldn't have your kids live there you wouldn't live there so don't ask us to live there yep And, and and that was his his take on it you know that it has to be the same across the board for everybody. All we're asking is that we just be treated fairly. So I did try to portray that, um, that the growers had real concerns, you know. Um, yeah, of course. And, and, um, but there was nothing, any, any, anything I ever found that was written by them except for newspaper excerpts. <laughs> um,
0: and we all so, know, what, you know how those can get spun.
1: They were, you know, they had the organs of communication. They had the um, editorial pages, right. would obviously be written by their friends. Of
2: course. They
1: had um, the newspaper reporters. Um, so there was strong feelings, you know, on both sides. And all of that has changed now. It's all ancient history. But mm-hmm. it was a watershed moment
2: mm-hmm. for...
1: Um, change at that moment in 68 and on through 75. Right. So.
0: That actually leads into one of my questions for you was you have these young boys going through the, or young men going through kind of a chaotic mystery experience um, surrounding the issues of that migrant workers faced back in the right. 60s and 70s. Do you think that there are aspects of the struggles that Jack and Adrian go through in your book still happening today?
1: From what I understand, no.
0: Well, that's good.
1: There's um, there's a lot of mitigating uh, circumstances, of and um, it's it's the history of of what unions accomplish. Whether you like unions or not, like unions, um, unions as a as a matter of of Um, history, raised the work, the standard of, 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 um, practices in any workplace. Right. So, so now employers, if they want to employ people in a non-union environment, they have to match or better the benefits that the union shop gets. Right. So it's, it's caused a, a more of a competition. Now there's still a struggle up there. If you, Talk to the UFW people. They're always going through struggle. They're trying mm-hmm. to, trying to get you know growers to comply. But across the board, working conditions have improved.
0: What's um, UFW, real quick? Um,
1: uh, the United Farm Workers. Okay. Um, is is the official name of the union? Oh, okay. That Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and others founded.
0: Right. Okay. And
1: um, uh, Dolores Huerta was you know a very big part mm-hmm. of it. Um, I didn't mean to give her short shrift in this book, but, you know, I only have so many pages. Of but course. Word if counts. I get to write another one, um, <laughs> she she was a prominent player with uh, Caesar, and she had a certain skill set that he did not have. Right. And um, um, she was a very gifted negotiator and um, uh, a talented communicator, and mm-hmm. um, she played a big role in it but if if um if you talk to the u f w people today there's still struggles there's struggles with the pesticide issue, there's struggles with um you know i, I think I was just reading that a uh, a young man or young woman died of sunstroke you know um Oof. there's just it's it's a intensely difficult job of course, that,
0: yeah, it's unimaginable
1: and um that um, no one really wants to, to to deal with it, and they're very glad that that you know these laborers come in and do it. I mean, um, but uh, wages have have gotten better. Um, there's still struggles to get contracts, but I don't think it's... I don't think the I'm pretty sure the living conditions are nothing like what it was back then. Well, that's good. I know those have improved. So Cesar Chavez's idea eventually was. There to be no um, um housing on farms and ranches that people would be able to have such a wage that they could they mm-hmm. could live in town where they wanted to live.
2: Right.
1: And um so I don't know if all migrant camps are gone, mm-hmm. but they don't look anything like they were um in the thirties, the forties, fifties, or even sixties. The sixties, yeah.
0: Well, that's it's always pleasant to hear when change has happened. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had a podcast where we were talking about uh, some atrocity that happened in the 1500s and how the same atrocities are still happening today and how painful it is to think about that. So it is wonderful to hear that movements have actually made change. It's it's inspiring, and it is wonderful to hear that.
1: Yeah, um, in terms of labor, because yes. first and foremost, one of the conflicts that Cesar Chavez had and um, was, was he a social reformer or was he a labor leader? And... Um, You know, you might say he was a blend of both, but at the beginning of the day when he got up, he was a labor leader.
2: Okay. And
1: um, in other words, he was trying to organize labor in such a way that um, on these ranches that workers could be treated fairly and decently like human beings. Mm Mm-hmm um they they weren't saying they did not want to do the stoop labor they just wanted working conditions to be what anyone else would get of course um anywhere else for instance if in your job and you you know um your employer doesn't put the bathroom a quarter of a mile away True. and say when you leave the door to go to the bathroom to walk there you're you're on your own time
2: mm-hmm.
1: but that's what the growers were doing.
2: Of course. So the
1: bathroom would be so far away or the toilet should be so far away and they're picking by the piece that either you you went to the bathroom in the fields, which they didn't really like you to do. Of course. And or you went somewhere else, you know, a quarter of a mile away. So wouldn't it be fair just to have your bath, you know, the, these porta potties on wheels and just bring them with you? But those are just you say those are just such sensible things. Mm hmm. Um, and and these were the things that, you know, having water always accessible, um, uh, you, you'd think, well, that's, that's, those are just normal things. We get that in our workplace.
2: Yep.
1: I would, you wouldn't work for someone to put the water faucet a mile away or half a mile away. Of course not. You wouldn't do it. So
0: why would we ask Peter Chavez is saying,
1: why should we do that? And but those weren't the only issues. Then there's then there's pay and and fair treatment and benefits and um,
0: living conditions. The toxic
1: spraying. Well, the living conditions and then you know toxic spraying. I mean, still today, the highest incidence of cancer and leukemia and some of these very devastating diseases are in these farming communities.
0: Mm, That's
1: awful. Highest in the country awful um, so the poorest of the people are dealing with some of the most um, devastating health consequences of being exposed to you know toxic chemicals it's gotten a lot better but I mean if if you have cancer as a result of inhaling if only five people get it instead of 500, you know, say, well, that's a much improved, but,
0: but it's still cancer.
1: Um, <laughs> it's still cancer. You still, so uh, t- I, I, you gross. know, today in the, um, I believe it's the Fresno area mm-hmm. that the highest incidence of, of cancer um, rates, um, if not in the country, at least in the state of California,
2: hmm.
1: uh, it's a very toxic organ, you know, uh, environment to work in. Hmm. So those are issues that they're still working on. Um, um, and it's an ongoing issue.
0: Yeah, nothing and, is um, ever done. So there's always work. It's it something better. There's to always
1: do. work to do. Always yeah. work to do. So,
0: so my next question is, what do you want your readers to take away from this novel? Like, what message do you want them to see? <clears throat> <laughs> I like asking I hard questions. What,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think what is. Um, why do people read fiction? I think there is a you know lot of reason. We want to be entertained,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I think we want to be moved to a different emotional place um, about an experience that we would have never had otherwise. And um, I think the book is doing that. From the reviews coming in, yeah, people reading that, and um, um, if if they can experience a little bit of what the least of us experience, at uh, least of these um, experience, um, then that's a good thing. Um, empathy is the great power of the novel. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if, if a novel can get the reader to feel empathetic for certain characters in their situation, then certainly you've, I, I think it's accomplished its mission uh, in addition to being entertained. Of course. So, um, you know, there's pure entertainment books. You just have the thrill. And then once you've done close the cover, you don't think about it anymore. I hope <laughs> my book is not like that, I yeah. hope that they do think about it. Um, and I hope that the ending um, gives people some pause that really, the only way things are really changed in our society, whether it's labor issue, whether it's um, you know trafficking, whether it's um any type of crime in your community or or something uh, where people are being there's an unjust situation mm-hmm. it It takes a sacrifice and a commitment to change it, yeah. Uh, instituting a program doesn't change an injustice. No. It's, it's people committed to, um, to eradicating the injustice. And in Cesar Chavez case, he, he committed his life to it. And for that, whether you agree with them or don't agree with them, you have to admire them. Of course. And, and, um, so, um, I know that in the writing of the book, when I tell people I'm writing my friends or acquaintances that I'm writing about Cesar Chavez, um, he, he provokes a a yay or nay type of response. (laughs) Yeah. Um, particularly in California. So, um, um, so it takes sacrifice to change anything and, The only people that are changing things are people that are committed to changing things.
0: Yep. The only, the only way change happens is if someone raises their voice about it.
1: That someone makes a noise about it. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) So speaking of Cesar Chavez, what did it feel like when you found out Mark Grossman, uh, one of his speech writers and a spokesperson was going to do a foreword for the novel?
1: Well, he was very gracious and he read the book and, um, Um, and you have to understand that at least what I had to understand is that, um, um, Mark and the people around him, Mm -hmm. they don't read a lot of fiction. Right. So, um, it, it took me a little bit of convincing to say, you know, just read the book, just read the book. And he really liked it. He gave me some, some great ideas to, um, make it more accurate, just little tweaks really. Um, and he was very willing to do it. and um, from their perspective, anything that that um, ex, um, reminds people of what chavez has has um, has accomplished or did accomplish and continues to accomplish, um, you know his sons and and others are very involved in his legacy. so this would be a legacy project and he was very invo- very uh, enthusiastic about that.
0: That's so. really good. I think that it's a wonderful addition to kind of tie this novel back to re- reality and help elucidate the idea that this is something that really happened, that this that yeah. people went through this in like not that long ago. And connecting it to something as important as connecting it to someone who has the experience like Mark Grossman did is, I think, very important to the thoroughfare of the story.
1: Well, um, you know, my my goal in getting Mark was um, to... Um, see if we can widen the the interest in the book and one of the biggest issues you know in a book like this is who's the audience and who's interested in it um i'm hoping that people that um caesar chavez was only like a vague i mean they most people in la have at least read a street sign that says caesar chavez boulevard or you know a caesar chavez holiday or caesar chavez birthday but maybe aren't really aware of what he accomplished. And I hope this book contributes to that awareness.
0: And I think it will. I think that it opens a dialogue that maybe doesn't exist um, as profoundly as it
1: should be. Okay. You know, the the dialogue has to be everywhere. One of the uh, people are posting reviews on Goodreads, if I could just mention it. One lady did an excellent job of reviewing it said put in parentheses did you learn about cesar chavez in in school i sure didn't <laughs> so you know um the fact that he's seen as a you know a mexican-american hero or a if from what i have read of cesar chavez he just wanted to be seen as american of course and um you know and not pigeonholed as, uh, you know, that, that he is only a hero to the Mexican-American. And um, the rural Mexican-American or Chicano, you know, really doesn't, uh, would probably say he didn't do much for me. <laughs> um, but uh, that's not entirely true. I, I think a whole generation of, of middle-class um Mexican Americans grew up out of the the, the fields, working. Their parents, the parents worked the fields, and they moved on to do something else. Yep. So and um, they grew into you know other opportunities, just like my my grandparents came here as a tailor and a bricklayer. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, I don't have any tailors and bricklayers in my family
2: <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, you know, immigrant history, we start somewhere. And, um, and this great American dream that we have, that, that you can improve yourself, that you can take advantage of opportunities. I, th- I think that's what Cesar Chavez is all about. He was about taking advantage of opportunities. Okay, it starts in the fields. That's an opportunity. Um, move somewhere else, you know, take advantage of, you know, of of the, the skills that or the abilities God has given you and, and, and grow with those here in America. And, um, if Cesar Chavez story is a story of anything, it's a story of America.
0: Yes, I would absolutely agree.
1: Because, because this story could not have happened anywhere else, but in America.
0: Nothing about that sentence is incorrect. And on that note, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today and to tell me more of the story and the idea behind the road to Delano. I hope that you all pick it up. Thank you so much, John, for being with me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Until next time, goodbye.